In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. It's not a secret that when Justin Trudeau was campaigning to become prime minister for the first time in 2015, he promised a lot of things. He promised electoral reform. He promised real truth and reconciliation. He promised a lot of big, complicated reforms, some of which the liberals delivered, a whole lot of which they didn't. But he also promised a few things that seemed so straightforward they were slam dunks. One of these was a promise that he made while directly appealing to the LGBT community for their money and their votes. He promised to end the ban on men who have sex with men donating blood. This is a ban that's been ended in other places around the world without issue, and it's a move that liberal voters overwhelmingly support. But as Trudeau told Extra Magazine a few years later, it was harder than he thought. Uh, it would be very, very difficult for us to, you know, tell uh, CBS to behave in a particular way or to go further without uh, them doing the work themselves, which is why we're sending them money so that they can uh, get cracking on the work that we know needs doing. Still, he promised to keep working and he won another election. And now here we are in 2021 and... We gave funding to Canadian Blood Surfaces and IMA Quebec uh, to do the studies necessary to be able to bring in new protocols and we are very hopeful that we'll be able to announce uh, uh, the results and the change uh, very soon. Hmm. Still complicated, I guess. This is going to sound like me being opinionated, but it's really just a question. We developed safe and effective vaccines for a brand new virus in less than a year. So why has it taken us decades to figure out how to properly screen blood safely for HIV? Where did the blood ban begin? Was it necessary back when it started? How has it and the science behind it evolved over the years? Speaking of science, what exactly is the science that Trudeau cites when he says that's what his government will follow? And what's the real reason that what should have been an easy win for the Liberals now has them getting outflanked by Aaron O'Toole's Conservatives on LGBT issues? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Justin Ling is an investigative reporter, a Canadian journalist who has been covering the blood ban for how long now, Justin? Uh, like six years, maybe longer. It's it's many, many, enough years, too many years, I think. Why don't we just start at the beginning? Um, for people who have heard this as kind of like a talking point and, and a political fight over the last decade or so, how old is the blood ban and where did it come from? Right. So you, you go back about four decades in Canada and you, you are confronted with the really 
disquieting reality of the blood of, of the tainted blood scandal right you had cases hundreds of cases across the country um, where folks received blood transfusions uh, that were not adequately screened that ultimately led to uh, seroconversion for HIV that ultimately infected them um, with other um, you know hepatitis diseases as as well as other infectious diseases um, and it was a national scandal it was absolutely um, you know, it shattered people's illusions about the blood system, about our health system, right? It 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 fundamentally, you know, weakened trust in, um, you know, what governments ought to be doing to ensure the health and safety of people who rely on government services. So you, know, you go back to that point and you realize the sort of risks inherent in, you know, what protecting the blood supply, you know, actually means. And unfortunately from that, you know, there was a good thing that came from that, which was, you know, we actually had a conversation about what uh, ensuring safety of the blood supply actually means. But on the flip side, you also started to see um, this really sort of reactionary and knee-jerk blame placed on the queer community in Canada, who, of course, have historically faced higher HIV rates uh, than other populations. And... Even going back to the initial, you know, outbreaks, the initial scandal was sort of unfounded. Um, you know, queer gay men were largely blamed for, um, you know, the the prevalence of HIV in in the blood system, and not altogether fairly. You know, the health candidate at that point was doing an incredibly inadequate job of screening the blood supply, and actually was sourcing blood from very shady sources. In some cases, there was a suggestion that Health Canada was actually buying blood from U.S. prisoners. So suffice it to say, gay men from the very beginning were sort of scapegoated as to um, you know why this, this initially happened. But in the years following that, the Canadian government sets up the Canadian Blood Services and its Quebec counterpart, Hama Quebec. And they're tasked with running, you know, at an arm's length, you know, process, running, uh, you know, the blood donation system and the and the blood collection system. And they, you know, as part of their new mandate, draw up all of these rules designed to make sure the blood supply is safe. And one of those rules from very, very early on is that men who have sex with men are forbidden from donating at all. And that is is largely... The, the 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 question the, the you know the 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 ban that exists till today it's been weakened over time in the past decade or so you've seen uh, that outright prohibition drop and drop down into uh, time-based bans so if you haven't had sex in the last five years and then one year and then three months um, then you uh, can can donate but of course that applies to an incredibly small number of people because uh, the reality is lots of folks are sexually active um, it's it's quite a, a you know an overbroad way of, of screening donors um, there is no exemption if you're monogamous. Um, there's no exemption if you're in a long-term committed relationship. Um, if you are on uh, PrEP, which can which can prevent uh, transmission of HIV, there's no carve-out if you you know religiously use condoms, for example. It, it really is a ban targeting gay men, and in some cases uh, trans women as well, and trans men. Um, 
And it is discriminatory. And it's very face. And this is something the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, said when he was in opposition. It is a discriminatory, it is a discriminatory and homophobic uh, policy uh, that is a vestige of, of a government scandal, of, of, an, of the inadequacy of government procedures. Uh, and gay men have always been sort of forced um, to, to uh, bear the consequences of that. We're going to talk about the homophobia and discrimination behind why this ban persists in a minute. But first, you know, that was four plus decades ago and the screening was horrible and there was a scandal. How much better has the science behind blood screening become uh, over the last four decades? And, And how good are we now at finding this stuff when it's in there? I mean, it's, it's so remarkably better. I mean, it's tough to underscore just how drastically better um, screening has become um, for HIV, for, hep- for the, the hepatitis viruses, for syphilis and so on. Um, you, you go back to the 80s and actually, you know, governments and, and, and health agencies were capable of screening for HIV. It wasn't obviously as good as it is today. And by and large, they chose not to do that or they failed to do that. Um, but, you know, you go into today and actually for the last five, six, seven years, um, our screening is good enough such that um, you're, uh, the, the, the tests are able to catch HIV positive blood Um within a few days of you seroconverting, um, which means basically that the vast, vast majority, you know, maybe even in every single case where a, a blood donation would be infectious, the screening procedures will and can catch it. So the actual risk of HIV positive blood being donated is, is, is quite small. And we've not seen, we have actually not seen a single case in the last several decades of HIV positive blood um, being donated or leading to uh, transmission of HIV from the blood system. Even though we know that HIV positive people who are not gay, of course, do donate blood. It does happen. It is caught. It is, the screening is, is so um, sensitive um, that it ensures that you know any uh, HIV positive blood uh, you know donated through uh, the Canadian Blood Services Ram of Quebec um, is is flagged and is removed. So the screening is nearly perfect. It's been forty plus years. Uh, you just mentioned at the end of your previous answer that in opposition, Justin Trudeau, who is now prime minister, called it discriminatory and said it needs to end. Justin Trudeau has been in power for five plus years now. Why hasn't it happened? You know, that's the million-dollar question, right? The prime minister talked of really good game. You know, the prime minister fundamentally raised money off of this promise. He went to the queer community and said, "Hey, I'm I'm a friend of yours. I'm a friend of Dorothy, uh-huh. and if you give me your money, I'll get elected and I'll get rid of this discriminatory ban and I'll fight for queer rights, so on and so forth." And suffice it to say, when he got into power, that was put on the back burner. It, it did not become a priority for him. Um, you know, he he did task his then health minister Jane Philpot with looking at it, but the conversations about this just completely dropped off after he was elected. I know from speaking with then Minister Philpot with others in government um, that there was a there was a, a, at least a perfunctory look at changing these rules. But the government basically concluded, well, this is the Canadian Blood Services and Hammond Quebec's problem. We can't or shouldn't interfere. It is what it is. We'll move on, right? 
And there is a little bit of truth to that. The reality is uh, both agencies are arm's length of government. Um, the federal government should, generally speaking, not be dictating policy or procedures to those two agencies. Um, they are arm's length in part because they're supposed to let the science drive their policies and make sure that they are they are um, following the best science-informed uh, policies that will ensure that, you know, HIV positive or other or otherwise infectious blood doesn't enter the blood supply. Okay, but here's the giant but that comes with this. The Canadian Blood Services in Hama, Quebec are not completely divorced from government. They are entirely or almost entirely funded by various arms of government. Um, they operate based on regulations set out by Health Canada and those regulations specifically allow and actually sort of open the door for Health Canada and the Minister of Health to set or remove policies that are no longer needed or that may be needed. What's more, there is a very good argument to be made that as basically agents of the government of Canada, they are beholden to both the Charter of Rights and Freedoms um, and the, the Federal Human Rights Act. And there's a very, very good case to be made that they're breaching both of those things because they're discriminating against gay men and men who have sex with men. This has sort of been tried in court already, and it didn't go tremendously well. But there, at the very least, is an argument to be made that the federal government has an obligation to make sure that its own agencies do not discriminate based on sexual orientation. And that's exactly what they're doing. So... Frankly, the government throwing its hands up and saying, well, there's nothing we can do is is really, really weak. And it's always been weak. And the government has recently received a ton of scrutiny for this. And that has been their refrain every time. Their refrain is basically, well, we're the government. What could we possibly do? What do Canadian Blood Services and Hema Quebec say about why they haven't, regardless of what the government tells them to do, why they haven't ended this ban? And also here is where I believe you've done some accessed information work, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, publicly, the Canadian Blood Services in Hema Quebec have been very, very defensive about this. Their repeated insistence is um, that their obligation is to protect the blood supply, and, and therefore they can't make any kind of risky movements. Um, but, you know, that argument really falls apart pretty quickly when you look at their own internal documents, which basically acknowledge that the, the risk of opening to more, uh, you know, gay men or men who have sex with men is pretty small. Um, their internal memos actually acknowledge basically two things. Um, the first is that their screening is incredibly good and that the risk of most uh, queer men is, is quite small. Um, the other part of that is that they acknowledge that when they've made changes in the past, reducing that deferral period from five years to a year to three months um, of, of celibacy, um, that it actually hasn't made a large difference in, in many regards. It hasn't actually opened the door to mm. a lot of uh, men who have sex with men donating blood because it is a very discriminatory and disqualifying uh, policy. But they also acknowledge that it hasn't led to any noticeable supply, even in raw numbers, of HIV-positive blood entering the blood supply or being you know, attempted to be donated. What the internal memos do sort of recognize is that the Canadian Blood Services in Hama, Quebec are operating basically on a very conservative basis. They don't want to spook 
their long-term donors. And, and that seems to be fundamentally one of the biggest problems at hand. You know, there's also a question of cost. It is very, it can be very expensive um, or at least more expensive um, to, to more adequately and aggressively screen uh, blood for, for HIV or to do more individualized testing. Um, so, so fundamentally, you know, the, the conversation and, and the defense you hear from the Canadian Blood Services and him at Quebec is that this is about safety. It's just about safety. But that's not entirely true because we actually know, based on other countries that have moved more aggressively on this, we know from the, their own modeling uh, and we know from um, you know other jurisdictions' experiences that the, the risk is very low here. Um, and, 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 and fundamentally, it is more about kind of entrenched positions than it is about any sort of risk aversion. The big story will be back. In just a minute. What's at stake in terms of both, A, the stigma on the queer community, obviously, uh, remaining in place with this official policy, and also just, like, there's actual benefits of blood to enter the system here if we got rid of this, right? Like there's, there's real tangible gains at stake. Yeah. I mean, we, we've actually faced blood shortages in many instances in recent years, such that Canadian blood services has come out and begged people to, to donate in larger numbers, even as it runs this disqualifying and discriminatory policy and defends it um, consistently. It's, it's really frustrating in, in that regard because, um, you know, an inadequate or unstable blood supply is a real public health problem. Um, and, you know, what's more, I think there, there is a, a general risk that COVID-19 has impacted the blood supply in a, in a more substantial way, such that the Canadian Blood Services needs to expand their donor pool significantly in the next few years. They acknowledge, based on these internal memos that I got, that their donor base is currently too old. They need to recruit more youth. They actually acknowledge that uh, both disqualifying queer people, men who have sex with men, and you know the the kind of homophobic backlash they've gotten from that um, has actually impacted their ability to find donors amongst youth, which they desperately need right now. So this is a public health problem. This discriminatory policy is substantially. Um, you know, risking our long-term blood supply, and of course, the the stigma that comes with this, is, you know, is is really significant. It is not even correct anymore to say that it never was correct, but it's particularly today to say that HIV is a gay disease. You know, that has always been thrown at queer people as 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 you know a way to discredit and to sort of vilify them um, but we a lot of new transmission of hiv come from heterosexual people in fact gay men are more likely to know their hiv status than a heterosexual person again this is noted in the canadian blood services memos hmm. they acknowledge that gay men do a better job of getting tested, of knowing their HIV status. And of course, knowing their HIV status and not donating blood, whereas heterosexual people are less likely to go out and get a test. They're less likely, in some cases, to wear condoms. They're less likely to be on things like PrEP, which can prevent HIV transmission. So, you know, the, the stigmatization, again, of, of gay men as being vectors of disease is something that we've had to fight against for decades. And this policy only entrenches that stigma long term. And it, it cloaks it 
in medical terminology and it cloaks it in medical science as though it is actually based in any sort of good research and it's not this is literally inertia the only reason this policy exists is because it has always existed or at least you know always since the 80s if you were to start from scratch and rewrite these policies de novo you would not ban gay men from donating blood you would have a more effective lifestyle questionnaire, right? If you were to tomorrow start a new blood donor regime, you would ask people, are you monogamous? Do you use condoms when you have sex? Are you on uh, PrEP? Are you, you know, do you get tested regularly? Those are the questions that would be really effective in making sure that people with HIV don't, don't accidentally donate blood and making sure also that your donors know their own status. Instead, we don't do that. We just say, no gay men allowed, them's the breaks. I hesitate to ask this in a way that sounds optimistic just because the inertia on this has been so strong. But is this coming to a head? I mean, Trudeau is now going to face another election. This is going to be on the list of promises he hasn't kept. The conservatives are now looking to court beyond their traditional base, um, and the evidence is overwhelming. Like, how much longer can this thing hang on for? You know, I think I think eventually Canadian Blood Services and AMIC Quebec will come around. I, I think it is a matter of time. Like I said, you know, the other jurisdictions have done this first. Um, you know, the statistics sort of speak for themselves, and there is a more effective way of doing this. Eventually, the Canadian Blood Services are going to realize that. The question is whether the federal government will get involved first. And and frankly, I don't think so. The federal government has dug its heels in and said, we're not doing it. We can't do anything. You know, please keep giving us money, gay men, but, you know, tough luck. Um, but like you know, the Conservative Party has recently got aboard this train in a in a very, very big way. Um, it's thanks in large part to Eric Duncan, the party's first ever openly gay MP, and Michelle Rempel, the Conservative's health critic, who has always been, you know, generally speaking, a, a, a firm supporter of LGBTQ rights. Um, they, of course, join the NDP, the Greens, and the Bloc, who have always called for an end to the blood ban. And it's now increasingly difficult for the liberals to come out and say they're you know, the, the only party that's going to go and fight for LGBTQ rights when they're facing you know, opposition from every other party in parliament telling them to get a move on on this, and they're refusing to do it. Um, it is really, it, and it's, it's frankly really insulting as well. To watch this government, you know, throw its hands up and say, well, you know, we, we couldn't possibly. Because if this discrimination were against really any other group, it's not hard to believe the, the federal government would move heaven and earth to get rid of that policy. Whether it would be through a court challenge, you know, through their own system, whether that would be through a new law, new regulation, uh, you know, more aggressive funding, whatever. It's hard to imagine discrimination, a discriminatory policy against indigenous women or uh, refugees or, um, you know, any other group, you know, medicalized in this sense. It's hard to imagine the, the federal government not fighting tooth and nail to get rid of it. Yet the government in this case is going, well, we, we just can't do anything, even as every other party is, is giving them this huge kind of political cover to do it. It's, it's really, really frustrating. But as you know, it's also heartening to see you know, the Conservative Party, which has not always been a friend to queer people, I think it's fair to say, 
coming around on this, getting on the right side of history, and, and, and you spending some of that political capital to try and make change. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is it's just, it's really interesting to me, even just to look at it from a totally cynical point of view from the liberals' side and say, like, this is a really easy win, guys. Like, why not? Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know what else. To, yes. The answer to that is yes. It, you know, people always ask me just why haven't they done it? And it's a really tough question to answer because I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's they're just they don't want to overrule the bureaucrats. Um, you know, they don't want to look like make it look like they're, um, you know, risking the blood supply, I suppose. I, I, I really think that at the end of the day, the biggest reason why the government has not done this is that they just don't care enough. I don't think they care enough to do it. And I think that's fundamentally the problem. I think that is a appropriate and damning place to end it. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. That's Justin Ling, who I hope one day gets to stop writing about this issue because it actually gets done. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Email us anytime you like, The Big Story Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And head to your favorite podcast player or your second or third favorite podcast player. Search our show, hit follow, hit subscribe, hit like, whatever they tell you to do. And if they ask if you'd like to leave a review, please say yes. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.